the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. <laughs> Alright, we going? Welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Book Out Path podcast, part of the Land Grant Holy Land feed. Uh, I'm here with Jordan Williams once again. How you doing today, Jordan? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing good. You know, um, we've got some mysterious stuff coming in the future, not in our lives, but mostly in college football recruiting, as is the case as always. We're still waiting to hear from a certain name. We're going to talk about that here in a few uh, I'm excited, though. Uh, I think Ohio State's had some recruiting wins. I've finally gotten some off-season Twitter beefs. It's been bound to happen at some point. I didn't know it would be Notre Dame <laughs> setting the first flame. But, yeah, I guess it. I guess it's going to be a fun, fun off-season with the Golden Domers. Uh, we've got quite a few topics that are relevant to Notre Dame, but I don't think we're going to have very positive opinions of the Fighting Irish after today. I don't think there's really a place for them at the national big dog table right now. So I just want to hear, uh, to get it started, how do you feel about Notre Dame's actions online today? Um, I think it speaks to their fan base and them as a program. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're at the big dog's table, right, you know, you expect to get four and five star the best players. Um And so while LSU fans, Clemson fans, Alabama fans, whatever, we celebrate, you know, certain recruiting wins, um, the way that they celebrated was just weird. It just kind of speaks to the fact that it just doesn't happen. For anyone who doesn't know, they have a commitment, I believe, from a 2023 defensive end. He's a five-star. He's from Cleveland. So that's shocking that he's not committed to Ohio State. And we're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about him in a few but, yeah, but like Notre Dame fans are like creating graphics and saying that it's Notre Dame, Ohio is Notre Dame State and all that other kind of stuff. And it's just like, I was like, I, you know, at first I was like, okay, have your fun. You guys got this one. It's great. And then they started talking about being like a bigger brand than Ohio State. I'm like, first off, no. Second yeah. off, like it's not even close. Like I think Ohio State and Alabama have separated themselves as brands in college football so far that when you look at, any of the ratings from the year before, the top 10 is usually half Ohio State, half Alabama, and then one really good non-conference game. And then you really look at the followings on social media, how much people are talking about them, where the recruits are always going, and it's always Ohio State. And it's not Notre Dame. It's not Clemson. It's not these other schools that claim to be at the – because – there's a difference between like the current big dog table and the blue blood table. And Notre Dame is a blue blood. I'll give them their credit there. But I have to go on record here and say that their brand is not what it used to be. Yeah, no, it's not what it used to be. And honestly, they're even still, they, their national brand was largely based around being the biggest and best religious institution. Like, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm not going to say that they were really up there. Like, with the U, Ohio State, when Michigan's brand was big, when Nebraska's brand was big, like, that was just different. Like, Notre Dame is going to be the number one of all, you know, religious institutions and things like that. But that branding is still different. Like, they're still not. Yeah, 100%. 
Yeah, I think another thing, uh, you know, Notre Dame always flaunts like, oh, we have our own network and stuff. And I'm like, Ohio State has their own network. It's called the Big Noon Kickoff every Saturday. <laughs> and I just, it makes me laugh because I'm just talking about uh, the idea that Notre Dame, yes, they've been relevant over the last 20 years, but the last time they won a major bowl game was in the 2000s, like the early 2000s. The last time they beat Ohio State was in 1936. So when you really start taking these into consideration, they haven't really beat one of the modern powers in a game in almost 30 years. And they lost to Michigan like two years ago. And that just that just shows how far they've fallen. And you know they get to play. They they always talk about their national schedule. I'm like, yeah, like six of those games are against military academies and BYU. Like you should win those. It's like sorry, put you in. Then they put you in half the ACC schedule, and you get to play the ACC, which is the weakest of the Power Five conferences. If I had to like make an assumption right now, I think it's getting better year in and year out. I think there's some more competition there, but still, I think. You know, their two national scheduled games are usually a Pac-12 school, usually a ACC school. They have to play a half an ACC schedule now. And then occasionally it's a Michigan State or Michigan, and we know where they're at as programs. So it really isn't the same. Like, there's not the same allure to Notre Dame as there used to be. Not not even close. Because I was just thinking about this before we got on the show. Uh, The playoff is for conference champions and the best at-large teams. A one-loss, a one-loss Notre Dame is not going to make the playoff very often in this new system. Yeah, they'll make it more often than they did in the last system. The last system, they basically had to be undefeated. Yeah, but play in a conference. Yeah, they're never going to get a bye. Like, they're always going to be the uh, the highest they can go is the fifth seed. They're most likely not going to get the fifth seed. So they're going to be seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever that is. How often are they going to win that first game? I mean, uh, today, right now, I would bet, I would put money that Cincinnati would blow Notre Dame out the water. I'm with you on that. I think so. I think Cincinnati going into next year is a better team than Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess uh, we digress a little bit. Uh, our hatred, uh, we got lit. We, I mean, our fire got lit right before the show. So that's why we're getting this off our chest. The Notre Dame hate is real in Ohio. Always has been. They've always wanted to be us, but they've never been able to be us. So I guess there's a lot of hate there. But moving towards a more hopefully positive conversation here, the weight is still on for JT Tuamaleu. And we're coming at you with no updates, no news, nothing. We're just going to talk about JTT because we're sellouts and we love to be funny. And this is exactly what we're here for. I, I, I've been telling you, my gut feeling is he commits on July 4th. I'd want to know what your gut feeling is here on when he's going to commit. Because this is where we're going to break some news. And when we get it right, we're going to come back to this show and be the experts of JT Tuamaleo. Honestly, at this point, I think we're just going to find out he committed when they remove his black stripe. (laughs) (laughs) Ohio State's just going to release a video. They're not going to say anything. They're going to release a video, and they're like, "Welcome to the newest, the newest member to you know to the Buckeyes." The coaches are going to come up. Everybody's going to be cheering for him, and that's where we're going to find out. This is JT Tomlayu, and he's going to be like, "Thank you guys. I'd like to thank my coaches. I'd like to thank my Uh, teammates uh, for all the work and all the stuff we've done together. I'd like to to be a Buckeye." Well, it's funny. It's interesting because we have 
two recruits out here who have kind of one to transfer recruit in Palio Gatiote. And he is in the student portal. You can find him in your search bar. He's got a Buckeye email. He's got a gatiote.one at osu.edu. I know. That's right. We're experts here. Uh, we know everything. Uh, but he's not official. We I know we announced it as a boom. I'm still very confident that he's an Ohio State Buckeye. I just think there's no other way to cut it. JT is a guy, no one's changed their crystal balls. No one's changed uh, – any really thoughts about it? You know, Alabama was seen to be as the number two until the visit was canceled. Now Oregon seems to be in the passenger seat on this one. I think Washington, you can never count out the hometown team. You know, maybe he gets a moment of wanting to be that hometown hero. I don't know. It's it's a tough decision. I, I just kind of want to run down the contenders real quick. Like, how do you feel about Oregon as a contender in this? How do you feel about Washington as a contender in this? Uh, well, first of all, I think it's interesting that like we had no idea this was going to happen, but I do think we were right on the right path. Like we like we talked about it with Alabama, and we were like, well, I think it depends on where he wants to play. Yeah. If he wants to play defensive end, there's no reason for him to go to Alabama. Um, we talked about Larry Johnson, so I think unknowingly we explained all the reasons why he canceled the Alabama visit. There's no reason to go to be a defensive tackle because that's not what he wants to do. Um, there's no reason to go because Ohio State has the better, you know defensive line coach I get Oregon and Washington just being closer to home and honestly Oregon has a really interesting allure to it um I mean you would imagine they can recruit off the fact of just saying like we're gonna win the Pac-12 which means we're going to be in the playoff they can't recruit off of previous success but they can recruit to the future I mean he'll be a sophomore in 2023 no he won't He'll be a junior in 2023. He's a 2021 recruit. I think think Oregon has an interesting case. I mean, they still have the Nike. It's still cool. They're building a defense. Um, I think his name is Noah. Noah Sewell. uh, Pene Sewell's little brother who plays linebacker. Uh, I can't think of his name. Kayvon Thibodeau's good. Yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau. And I mean... And as we talk about with like culture and um, being um, and different things like that, they have um, Polynesian players. So we talked about yeah, that last so. week as well. Uh, so I'm I'm with you honestly. I think I think Oregon must have done something really spectacular to really get in to the mix on it because I'm just here and I'm thinking about this. Uh, before that, before they went to Oregon, I never would have considered them in the top three. It was Ohio State, Alabama, it was Washington. Uh, I think, I think, uh, I'm, I'm very out on Washington. I don't think he's staying home. I don't think he's going to mm-hmm. stay in Seattle. I think he wants to go at least Oregon distance away. I think Oregon's interesting. Uh, they do run a similar defense of scheme as Alabama, so I think it's interesting there. I think NIL-wise, the biggest advantage Oregon has is their association with Nike, uh, Phil Knight being the godfather of Oregon athletics. I think that's a huge selling point, I think, having the ability to sell that. But when you really start getting into name, image, and likeness, I know he he was really impressed by Oregon's presentation. He was really impressed by Washington's. He was really impressed by Ohio State's. So, I think he's just really just saying everything good about every single program he visits to throw everybody off the scent. Uh, I think the reason I think Ohio State's still in the driver's seat, regardless of what you see on the Oregon boards, is he wants to be a premier edge defender that plays for national championships. 
Uh, when was the last time Oregon played in a national championship? 2015 against the Ohio State Buckeyes, who beat them. I think this is a battle. I think this is going to come down to it. I don't know when it's going to be official. I, I, I always say I think July 4th is usually when the biggest recruiting fireworks happen. But that's usually for the class before. Like So this would be like a 2022 kid. Like It's usually their big, one of those big recruits that does it. Not a 2021 kid going into fall camp who has to be in school by July 2nd. So we can hear any day now. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the other thing that's important. Like, I mean, it, it's really just going to happen whenever he wants it to happen um, because he, he there's nothing to wait for. There's no there's no camps. There's no Elite 11s, the Open. There's no, you know, uh, All-American games. Yeah, he's passed all like that. Like everything that people that a lot of recruits wait for, he's passed. So it's really just about when he announces. And, and I made the joke about we're not going to know, but honestly – I could just see him showing up on campus. Yeah, no, I think uh, you've joked about that. I know Matt's joked about that. I know I've joked about that. He could literally just show up to Ohio State as a student and start playing football. Like, that seems like it wouldn't be shocking at all for this level of recruitment here. And as this has been the strangest recruitment I've ever followed, I think the star power along with – his patience, I, I think a lot of young kids really just want to take that offer they dreamed about their whole life. They just want to take it and run with it. And, you know, he's actually – I think this has been actually a very mature way to handle it. I know a lot of Buckeye fans are getting frustrated. I know a lot of Oregon fans are getting frustrated with a lack of decision-making. But he really has a lot of stuff he has to look over before he makes his final decision. Yeah, I agree, especially because, you know, not every single player pans out, right? But he's the number three overall player. You know, anyone who looks at high school football expects him to be a first-round pick. Yeah, he absolutely knows his value, and that's one thing that we know for certain. He knows his talent, he knows his value, and that's why he's been able to have this mature approach. Yeah, and I think it speaks to not only just him, because, I mean, ultimately, he's a 17, 18-year-old kid. It also speaks to his family and his support structure and the people around him. And, you know, I don't think that this is something that's going to be copied, and I'm not sure that I would recommend it for, you know, anyone that doesn't necessarily have his resolve and maybe his support system. But I think for him, he ultimately, he's doing what's best for him. Um, and obviously, I hope that that ends with Ohio State. I think Oregon is interesting, and I could see why he would want to go there. But I just think, you know, I, th- I think it would be kind of a letdown, not for Ohio State fans, but just in general. I don't, I don't, I just don't. Under- I don't know how after such a long recruitment, Ohio State could lose this battle. Yeah, you know, I, I would be, I would love. I mean, we're never going to hear it, but if he were to choose Oregon, I would love to know why. Like, what did they say or what did they do? Because you give Ohio State coaches this long to recruit you, you get to talk to you know Larry Johnson this long, Kerry Coon, Brian Day. And I just, mm, I don't, I don't know how they lose it. Uh, they've had the full court press on them for sure uh, since recruiting opened up. I know I was reading today that uh, when he was there, they had a lot of the Polynesian players hanging with them to show that connection. Haskell Garrett was his, his guide. Uh, he hung with G. Scott a lot, who went to his high school. And I think that's going to have a big impact, being able to see another local kid getting taken care of. So I think Ohio State's had success with Washington kids coming to Columbus, you know, we had Amika Egbuka, who was a late 
add to the class last year, but he was very much a premier recruit that took his time with his recruitment as well and ended up at Ohio State uh, like almost the last day. He, he committed pretty late for an early enrollee is what I'm trying to get across. And I think he is another example of Ohio State just doing what it takes for however long it takes to land a certain level of recruit. And I just don't think Mario Cristobal, I don't think Oregon has the pedigree the last five years to really warrant a player like JT Tuamaleu. I think, really, I think the only thing that they rely on is Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, I mean, he's had one superstar defensive end in the last, and he's more of an outside linebacker defensive end hybrid. He's not in the same type of player as JT Tuamaleu. That's a that's a good point. So we'll see. I mean, I, I definitely think Oregon's going to be a force. Yeah, I, I like Oregon. Yeah. Um, they're recruiting. They've gotten a lot better at recruiting, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, that's where uh, it wasn't just offense. So I, I could see it being a slight challenge. I just again, I, like you said, they play a similar defense to Ohio State. Larry Johnson, the full court press. I I don't I don't see this not being him not being. Yeah. I will say before it, I was like 75% heavy, like this guy's going to Ohio State. And that's pretty good for this level, this recruitment, honestly, 75%. I had a pretty solid gut feeling. Now I'm probably on like the 60-40 train, mostly because of pessimism, not because I think Ohio State hasn't done their job or anything, just mostly because I'm like, okay, like maybe, maybe Oregon can recruit too. I don't know. And that's just kind of where I'm at with it. It's, it's a coin flip right now, a little bit. And I think it's something Ohio State fans need to prepare for on both sides. But I don't want to, like, sign, like, the DEFCON 5, like, this is over, like, we're not getting them. I think we have a very realistic chance of landing. And I think we're the favorites still. Uh, No one's changed their crystal balls. I've been following Ryland Spencer ever since this recruitment started getting hot and heavy. And he's a Cascadia Preps guy. He's a Washington recruiting expert. Uh, This is his territory. And he has not wavered on that crystal ball since he put it in in January. That's six months. So I, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree 100%. Yeah, uh, I guess that's all we got for JTT until he makes a decision. I, I don't think there's really much more we could touch on it. I think we've kind of tried to turn over every stone. Uh, the only thing we can talk about is how he changes the room or how the room looks in the next three or four years without him. And that's pretty much all we got left. I will just say on that point very quickly, I think he makes the room better, but I don't think his commitment his. I think if he commits, he makes the room better. I think if he doesn't commit, I don't think it changes anything. I think yeah. Ohio, I th- honestly think he is defrosting on the cake. I don't think Ohio State lost out on anybody waiting for him to commit or anything like that. Um, I think the the room is solid, and I think that there's going to be more players, you know. So, but he is a special talent. So if oh, he commits, I think it's icy on on the cake. But if he doesn't, I don't think you know Ohio State fans should be worried. You know? Yeah, this is going to be Larry Johnson is going to have to recruit heavy on the defensive line regardless because we're losing a lot of people, and so that just kind of yeah, go, it'll just go into next year in twenty twenty two. And we'll just have to add extra bodies to the classes coming in the future. Exactly. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, that kind of takes us into the next subject here. We've got basketball talk. We're talking basketball Buckeyes. This might actually be the first time me and Jordan have talked about the Ohio State Buckeye basketball team uh, on the show since we've been recording together. 
But this is pretty big news. Uh, Dwayne Washington Jr. has declared for the NBA draft. He is not pulling his name from the draft pool, so he is going through with it. And I guess my first reaction, I know uh, you've told me you watch Ohio State basketball. You're not the biggest follower of it. But, I mean, you have to know Dwayne Washington Jr. as a player. He's electric, and then he's also – like dynamite in the bad way where he could just blow up a game single-handedly. So I just want to see, like, how do you feel about his draft prospects? Um, so personally, okay, so I, I'll answer it two ways. I think he has good enough draft prospects. I think he handled the system correctly and all the buzz that I've seen from camps and different, like the, the different, you know, combines and stuff. I think he has a good chance of maybe being, you know, a second-round pick. The one thing that I will say, though, is in the NBA, if you're not, you know, a top, if you're not a lottery pick, essentially, it almost doesn't matter unless you go to the right organization that's willing to trust a second round pick or build into you. And so that's kind of, you know, um, that's what I would worry about. I don't I don't necessarily worry about him not getting drafted. I worry about him not going. I, I worry about him not going to a place that's going to invest in him because some places, you know, will draft a second round pick or even draft a late first round pick and don't invest. And then, you know, they're out of the league in two years or they're struggling in the G League and getting, you know, 60 day contracts. They go overseas. So, yeah, I, I think he has a chance of getting drafted for sure. I just hope, you know, I think with the right organization, he could be a spark plug and different things like that. He has a lot of, you know, innate talent. Um, I would just be worried that he just goes somewhere that kind of overlooks him. Yeah, you know, I think Dwayne Washington was kind of an enigma at Ohio State. Uh, I think he kept the team afloat a lot of the time with his instant offense capabilities, his ability to score and shoot off the dribble, his ability to cut to the basket. I think he started really flashing how good he could be in the Big Ten tournament, and I think that transitioned very well to the NBA Combine and all those uh, all-star league games and stuff. And I, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Uh, I don't think he'd ever make an ill-advised decision. He's got a pretty good family support system. He's uh, dating Ezekiel Elliott's sister. I'm assuming he's probably chatted with Ezekiel Elliott about draft stuff. I'm assuming he spoke with Derek Fisher, his uncle, about draft stuff. I think there is so much that goes into what Dwayne Washington has behind him that. There's really, I think, I don't think he'd make this decision lightly. I think he really, like he said, used the process well. I think he was able to evaluate what draft scouts were saying about him, how much he'd moved up. Because I I was reading before, there were people who didn't even have him in the second round, didn't even really have him on his boards. And after his appearance at the combine and in the camps and stuff, he really showed that He's an elite-level basketball player. He's an elite-level ball handler. He's an elite-level shooter. The only issue I think I had with him at times, and I think most Ohio State fans had with him at times, was he wasn't always an elite decision-maker. So I think what you said about an organization trusting him to grow is going to be the most vital part to him being a successful professional. Yeah, but the one thing that he has going for him is every organization needs a spark plug. Oh, for Every sure. organization needs that guy who it doesn't matter how much they practice. It doesn't matter how much they play. You throw them out there in a the pinch and they can get you, you know, two, three buckets. Yeah, um, that's, you know, they can get you two, three buckets when your star's not out there. That's Wayne Washington personified, honestly. He is a guy who fills it up in buckets. 
But occasionally when it's not his night, sometimes he starts forcing it a little bit. And I, I really like him. I think he's a great book. I think this is kind of where I want to transition this conversation to a little bit. With Dwayne Washington being a year older, a year more mature, a year under Chris Holtman coaching him, I think Ohio State was a Final Four team next year with the development, with the recruiting, and all that stuff. I, I just kind of want your opinion on what the outlook is for Ohio State's basketball team now with just Dwayne Washington Jr. And then I guess after that, I want to know how you'd feel about this team if EJ Liddell also left, which I, I don't think he's going. So I don't have in-depth, you know, opinions on it, um, especially because I'm not good at remembering some of the names on the team. The one thing that I will say, though, is I think that I, I think it's a little against, you know, how Ohio State basketball operates. Um, but I think that they – I think this could be good for them is what I'm trying to say um, because I think a lot of times they kind of wait. Like you said, they have a third, fourth-year guy who's been through the ups and downs and is ready to be a leader and things like that. And sometimes I think that maybe they could play a little more reckless. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. I really think sometimes they should trust the young guys more, um, especially because it seems like off of just pure talent, obviously there's some – you have to know the game, different things like that, and you have to be trustworthy. But just pure talent, it seems like some of the young guards may be initially more talented. Um, and I think we saw that a little bit this year with some of the um, – and, again, I'm not good with names, but I think we saw it this year with some of the injuries and different things like that. And I do know one of them they have is a Columbus kid, Michi Johnson, and things like that. So I think Dwayne Washington is a, is a steady presence, but I also think, like you, like you already said, um, it can be up and down. So I think Holtman kind of like needs to loosen the reins a little bit and kind of let the young like the let the young guards just kind of grow in the offense in a bigger role and really bring that, you know, scoring prowess and some and that kind of fun to it. Um, I, I, I hope that um, I hope that that would allow them to, you know, kind of stop some of the up, ups and downs of the season where like they'll go and win 10 straight and look like one of the best teams and then they'll go and lose five straight. So yeah. I think it can be good for the team. I do think that it is a loss. Like, I'm not trying to minimize that, you know, and say that he wouldn't have helped and it wouldn't have been beneficial. Um, I just think maybe this decision will allow them to kind of rely on some of the, the really talented high recruits that they've gotten recently and hopefully Holtman loosens the rein a little bit and let them have a little fun. Yeah, no, I'm with you a lot. I think Ohio State's guard outlook is not as dire as a lot of people think. We got the transfer in Jamari Wheeler from Penn State. Michi Johnson's going to be a year older, a year more mature, and he's going to finally have a full year in, in college offseason because uh, if we don't remember from the announcer saying it every single time he stepped on the floor, he was supposed to still be in high school last year. Really? Uh, I, I, I'd never I heard no that idea. except like 155 times during the <laughs> basketball season, but – uh, he's he's got another year here. Uh, you've got Malachi Bronham coming in from St. Vincent and Mary. Uh, he's going to be an absolute stud of phenom. Uh, Jimmy Sotos was actually a pretty solid rotational guy before his shoulder injury kind of derailed his season. So overall, I don't think the guard outlook is actually in a negative place. I think you're going to bring back a lot of players. I think the one thing that for sure changes is – if Dwayne Washington stayed and EJ Liddell stayed, you would have had two guys where you expected a combination of 35 to 40 points every single night with those two guys. And then you'd want your other players to help 
kind of take us over to that next ledge. Now I think you're going to see a more Holtman-like team where it's less star-driven, less one-score-driven, and you're kind of going to have to see them work and play within the offense, play within the team. And I think this is actually what Chris Holtman's been building to since he took over. He's finally got a team that has enough veteran role players and enough youthful, exuberant talent that I think he could finally master the balance of them. And I think with veteran leadership like Joey Brunk transferring in, Jamari Wheeler transferring in to go with Malachi Bronham, to go with EJ Liddell, to go with these guys who have been through it at Ohio State, I think there's really a good mix on this roster that can go a long way in March. Yeah, I think – so bear with me. This is kind of a stretch, but I, I think that what – it, it seems like what Holtman is trying to do is almost kind of what Gonzaga did, where they have the guys that stay three, four years, and they have those veterans, and then they need that one young guy. They need that one Jalen Suggs who kind of puts yeah. it over the top. And, and I'm not I, saying I that we have that, but maybe we do. We just need to see. Yeah. I think I think, uh, I think think Holtman's a good coach. I think he's going to figure it out this year. I think the one thing this is like I, I don't expect a national championship. I mean, in college basketball, there that's hard. I think that might be the hardest sport to win a national championship in because there's so many good coaches, there's so many good college basketball players, there's so many different styles you can win with. Uh, but I do expect less of those stretches where we win five straight against some really good teams, then we go into Penn State and lose to a team we shouldn't have lost to. I, I I'm tired of seeing that. If we could get over the hump of losing those trap games to the Minnesotas, to the Penn States, to those teams that just catch us off guard on a night when we have to play Iowa at home on a Tuesday night in February, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to see those losses. And if we could get rid of those, I will, I'll accept that as more improvement from Holt. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, I hate to say this because in my bracket, I actually had Ohio State winning the national championship or at least going. And it's not even because I'm a homer. It's because I literally looked at it, and the way their bracket was set up, was every very single favorable. team they would have faced, every single, every single team they would have faced, they could have beat. The thing that uh, that I hope the most is when we went far in the Big Ten tournament, I knew we were going to be upset. I don't. I didn't know it was going to be in the first round, but I knew we were going to be upset because it's yeah. always one or the other, it seems. Either we do really bad in the Big Ten tournament and make a run in the regular tournament, and this year we did really good in the Big Ten tournament. I was like, nope, it's yeah. too good. It's, it's too good to be true. It's, it's too not going to stay. It's too tough on the players to go and have to play six games, seven or like five games in as many days, and then go on a week later and have to play – a high intensity immediate doesn't matter if you're a two seed doesn't matter if you're an eight seed it takes a lot to go through two tournaments in such a short span and i know a lot of teams have suffered from that in the past i mean uh dukes suffered from it unc suffered from it calipari's kentucky teams have suffered from the same thing where you focus so much on the regular season you focus so much on the sec title you can sometimes lose sight of the real big picture when you have a roster that's capable of winning a national championship and obviously, I'd love for a Big Ten title, but at the cost of being upset in the first round again, I'd rather go to like an Elite Eight or a Final Four than win the Big Ten tournament. I, I, yeah, I would like to get to a point where we can do both. Yeah, yeah, I think we're still a ways away from that. I think it took Mata, what, nine, ten years to get to that point where we we're winning the Big Ten regularly. And because, I mean, 
college basketball is tough. Like Coach K retiring is going to open up some some stuff, though. I think. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, I'm 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 very happy with Holtman's job, though. I'm very happy with how, where Ohio State is, um, and it, I mean it's tough. And I think one thing that people forget, and it's kind of hard to focus on sometimes, is I think there's a reason that the Big Ten is in a drought and winning a championship because no Big Ten is winning so team deep. in a while. Because we beat each other up. I mean, we beat each other up all year, and then we go to the tournament, and there's nothing left. It's the twenty. That's what happened this year. Conference schedule. It's you got seven home games, seven road games for sure with your division, or it rotates. College basketball is a little different than college football, but then you have four games or so that are split between your home and away against teams that you're not even playing every single year. So it really does make it even more challenging. Mm-hmm. And then you play – it's a very defensive-focused conference, so the basketball is very physical. And it's just a lot – to. it's a big ask. It is. And it's a gauntlet. It, it is. That's the best way to put it. It's uh, – what did Caleb Wesson call it? It's the 10, and it's a gauntlet. Uh, it's crazy. And I, I think moving forward uh, – me and Matt talked about this, I think, on our first show. Uh, the expectations for Ohio State basketball are absurd. Uh, they treat it like football, but I don't think they realize that football getting to this level was like a 30-year project started with John Cooper. Like, this is kind of the trajectory Ohio State basketball is on. It just needs to hit a few more times, and then eventually, uh, I don't know Holtman's future. I don't know what it holds for him. But if it's not him, it could be the next guy if Holtman continues to build a legacy. It could be the guy after Holtman. It, you know, it doesn't really have to be right now, but – after Earl Bruce at Ohio State, like Ohio State was in a weird place as a football program. They hired John Cooper, an outsider. He brings national recruiting to Ohio State. Jim Trestle brings back that uh, Ohio emphasis on top of national recruiting. Urban Meyer takes it to the next level, and now Ryan Day is flourishing with his mindset and mentality and his ability, and I think that is something that's very possible with Ohio State basketball. But I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you, I, I just put it up. I just put it up really quickly because it, it's interesting to talk about. Um, you know, as far when we talk about, you know, we talk about expectations. Um, Coach K has been at um, Duke since 1980. If my math is right, that's 41 years, right? Yeah. He only has five national titles. Yeah. But no one says only has five national titles. Like that's amazing. That's amazing. But that's a title once every eight years. Yeah. And that's abnormal. Like, people were saying that he's potentially the second greatest coach of all time behind John Wooden at, in college basketball. Yeah. Like, he's a legend, first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked, and he essentially won one title every eight years. Yeah. And a lot of coaches aren't getting that longevity in the sport anymore. So it's really a tough time to be a college basketball coach. Honestly, like, he won, uh, he won in 91 and 92, so he went back-to-back. Then he had a nine-year drought. One in 2001, had another nine-year drought, one in 2010, and then had a five-year drought and hasn't won since. Yeah. And, again, this is arguably potentially the, the greatest, second greatest best coach of all time, at least top five. So I think we do have to, you know, temper our expectations. And I don't mean to say that and say that we shouldn't expect I, – I, I expect one or the other at least. And I, that's the thing I think, I think we like, haven't gotten there. Ohio State could win a national championship next year. Like that's Easily. where we're at. It just takes getting hot at the right time. It takes the right boats being pushed in the games. That's what it is. 
And unfortunately, we ran into the team that was poorly seated. It wasn't even lucky. They were poorly seated. Yeah. And I saw it. A lot of people were talking about it. You had that's, two of the leading scorers in the country on an individual basis. I mean, we could talk about that all day. Uh, that was disappointing. Yeah. Uh, but that was not a that was not a 12 seater. Whatever they were seated, that's not what they were. Yeah. Uh, and everyone was talking about it because and they, essentially they said if they were a mid-major program, they may have been a top three seed. Yeah. But they got seated super low because no one cares about the school, this, that, and the third. When, like you said, they had two of the top scores, all of that other kind of stuff. And we see the run that they went on. So that, that's not to make excuses. It wasn't a fluke. It State. was not a fluke by Oral Roberts exactly. this past year. No, yeah. And I think I – think, uh, uh, talking about Oral Roberts, I think we got to go to a break before we get all sad and get the audience a little too sad. So we're going to play some happy music. You guys are going to go to our advertisers. It's always the right thing whenever I hear them. So hopefully they're giving you guys good stuff that you want. So uh, we'll be back in about a minute. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is your host, Christopher Rennie. Welcome back in to the episode of the Book Off Podcast. I'm sorry we left you guys on that sad note, but, you know, life happens. We're coming back from that. We're still recovering, you know. We're always in recovery from upsets. It's just the way life works. You know, at least we can always say this. Our rival up north still hasn't recovered from losing to Appalachian State. So, at least we're not them. And... Getting into this again, Ohio State did lose recently. And we started, we sort of foreshadowed this in the episode at the beginning. But Ohio State did lose out on mentor high school five-star defensive lineman Brennan Vernon uh, to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And Notre Dame fans have absolutely lost their, their goddamn minds, if I'm being honest here. Uh, so I, I don't know how much you know about Brennan Vernon's recruitment. It seemed like it happened pretty quick and all of a sudden. I, I started hearing his name about two weeks ago. I thought he was a lock to go to Ohio State just because it's high school. Uh, I guess not. But then after reading more, uh, it turns out he's not like every Ohio kid who dreams about going and playing in the Scarlet and Gray. So I just kind of want your take on what it means that Brennan Vernon is leaving the state of Ohio to go to South Bend, Indiana, and wear a golden helmet. Personally, I could care less. I, I don't think it means anything. Um, well, and I say that for two reasons. I don't, I don't. I don't mean to be anti, but I say it for two reasons. One, it's a 2023 recruit, and their commitment in June of well, yeah, June of 2021 means absolutely nothing. Um, whether he comes to Ohio State or not, who knows? But this is, I don't think this is a sign that he's going to Notre Dame. You know, Ohio State's going to put on the full court press, as is every other school, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, USC, Oregon, all, you know what I mean? So I think it's semi-significant in the fact that when does Ohio State lose a five-star? But it happens every once in a while. We lost Jackson Carmen. Um, we lost 
you know, currently Brennan Vernon. Uh, there was another offensive lineman we lost a couple of years before Jackson Carmen. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. Ohio State's not perfect in recruiting. And as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, it seems you know slightly more than I do. He may not be the typical kid. I think we should start being worried if like we're losing Ohio kids to that team up north or if we're losing kids like, you know, we're losing kids who it's like, you know, grew up Ohio State fans, dad played yes. at Ohio State, mom went to Ohio State and they you still know, don't we didn't them. get them. Yeah, I think right. uh I think uh one of the things I'd still like to say, I think the walls around Ohio are very much still up for Ohio State as they want to keep in state recruits out. I think you hit the nail on the head with it. I think Ohio State's not perfect. They're not going to get every single in-state recruit. Not every in-state kid has the same dream as all of us Ohio State fans and like people who have either went to the school or have played football in the state of Ohio. It's always sort of on your mind that you want to play for Ohio State. Not every kid's like that. I, I think it's hard for some people to understand it being that we all, as humans, we like to portray our dreams on other people who are in situations we've never been in. I think that's what's happening with Brennan Vernon. I think Vernon is a kid from Enter. Uh, it's a Cleveland school, a Cleveland area school. I mean, I don't want to give, I don't want to say it's a Cleveland school because I don't think Mentor's <laughs> in Cleveland. But anyone, anyone from Cleveland just like grimaced when you said that. <laughs> yeah, it's Cleveland area school, uh, north Northeast Ohio though, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. uh, just not in Cleveland, near Cleveland. Kind of. Uh, but I, I, I've seen this with a lot of Cleveland recruits. They're a little different than the rest of Ohio. I, I That Northeast Ohio region is not the same as Columbus. It's not the same as Cincinnati. I don't think there's the same rules when it comes to them as recruits. I think Marcus Freeman's a guy who's recruited that area extremely aggressively at every single school he's been at, and he's been successful. I, I think it's sometimes other teams, and I think we forget about this, can do really well too sometimes. And Notre Dame in this case did everything they could to lock in a commitment of a 2023 guy about a year and a half before he can sign. And I think you got to give them credit for getting him in a year and a half. I, I know that's a long time. I, I told you before the show, Marcus Freeman's going to be a head coach next year. I Easily. fully believe it. And what's that mean for his recruitment then? Who knows? Exactly. Maybe he commits where Marcus Freeman's going. Maybe he doesn't stay with Notre Dame, you know? so It opens a lot of floodgates. I mean, the worst thing you can have uh, when you're the person leading in a recruitment, when you're the person with the commitment this early, is time. Like, the only things that can happen for Notre Dame from now until Brennan Vernon signs are bad. Everyone's going to be Everyone's going to be calling this like you think, Everyone's going to be calling You think Clemson, you think Ohio State, you think Alabama Are going to stop recruiting this five-star defensive lineman no. Because they've got a commitment to Notre Dame Not a no. chance It's This is really, I think Just the recruitment getting started More than anything Yeah, and a lot of players commit And a lot of commits don't mean anything um, And And, 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 and you know, I mentioned Jackson Carmen. Jackson Carmen was the 2018 class. He just went to the NFL. Or maybe it was a 2017 class. If we lose, let's say it's 2018, if we lose one good commit every five years, I will take that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, if, if we lose one good Ohio commit to another big school every five years, sign me up. Now, you can have them. if Notre Dame somehow managed to pull off Sonny Styles as well, then, you know, I'm going to start asking some questions. I'm going to yeah, be like, how yeah, do we let two like, guys get away? Hey, 
Uh, but right now, that's, that's a- I want to hold on to the hope that we're going to do everything we can to land Sonny Styles even more now that Notre Dame's shown that they're not messing around. Uh, but, yeah, I want to look at the outlook real quick of defense alignment. I, I mean, this is more just naming some guys off the players that have been offered by Ohio State. I mean, we're not done. Like, Ohio State's not out on a lot of these guys. Like, there's guys like Libeus Overton. He's very cool to Ohio State right now, everyone recruiting the country. I don't think we get him. But I'm just saying, Ohio State's not playing around. Derek LeBlanc, he's actually a name I just keep seeing popping up online everywhere. I don't know why he just started popping up. I guess that's probably a good sign for us if Ohio State people are really talking about him. On the other side at Edge, you've got Matayo Uangalele, who was very happy with his visit to Ohio State. You've got quite a few other guys. And as always, Ohio State doesn't even have a full verbal commitment in the 2023 class. This is literally just getting started. So we've got a long way to go. We've had some early offers, absolutely. But Ohio State's far from being done in this regard, from trying, yeah, the, even with just Vernon, like from all the players in the country. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And Ohio State hasn't done anything to make us think that, yeah. you know. I mean, and this is, this is a serious question you can answer, but I also want, you know, the people listening to answer. Can you name, you know, a recruit that Ohio State missed out on that you were like, man, like after their career panned out, you were like, man, I really wish we had them. You know, Jackson Carmen, not to say that he wasn't good, but he didn't pan out to be what people thought he was going to no. be. Um, I mean, I like you maybe look at like Derek Stingley Jr., but I don't even know if we if we recruited him, you know. There's not too many players that we miss on and then replace with someone else that were like, wow, I wish we would have had them. I think the last one I can think of is B. John Robinson. Yeah. And Right now, like, I mean, guess what Ohio State did the very next year? They went out and got Travion Henderson. They went so. out and got uh, Evan Pryor. They went out and got – and in that same year, they found a diamond in the rough in uh, – Mayan Williams. Mayan Williams, yes. I almost called him Micah Williams. He would have got mad at me. <laughs> been the second player to block me on Twitter. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think I, I think you – with what you said about Ohio State's never given us a reason to not trust them. The staff hasn't given us a reason to not trust them. The only person, like, who's given us reason to not trust them is Greg Sudero with out-of-state tackle recruits. And I think he's going to fix that this class. Uh, let, let's hope. <laughs> so, I think moving on, I think I just want everyone to know, Ohio State, yes, it doesn't – that recruitment doesn't look good right now. There's – 16 months until he could sign. There are a lot of moving pieces in recruitment. And recruiting oh, no. is very fluid. Very, very fluid. Until they sign. Until the, and, then it's, and then it's still fluid. Yeah, because, because now there's one time transfer now. Yeah. <laughs> so he might sign with Notre Dame. We still might end up with him. So that's, that's where know. we're at. <laughs> but I want to bring Ohio State fans back up. I know we went Oral Roberts and Ohio State losing a recruit to Notre Dame. Terrence Brooks, uh, I got to pull up his 24-7 sports. I'm familiar with him, but not as familiar as I should be because his recruitment took off in a snap. I, I don't oh, think very, people realize how fast his recruitment happened. I'm usually pretty – my ear's always pretty to the ground with recruitment. I, I know all the names usually before. And this guy, uh, he came up pretty randomly. And I think they – I don't think they – they gave him an offer until like June fourteenth or something before he came to camp. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to look at his team list right now. I'm not editing any of this out because I like when people know I'm researching. Yes. So 
Uh, where does it say when he's offered? It doesn't matter, just because he committed, so I can't see where he was offered anymore off the first look. But he committed today. We all know that. And yesterday he made an announcement after, like, he's like, I'm making a big announcement at 3 p.m. tomorrow. 3 p.m. comes. Ohio State has a four-star corner with NFL pedigree in his blood. Uh, Little Elm, Texas, uh, that's where Ryan Watts went to high school. So we've already got a DB from there. We know exactly the type of athletes we're getting from Little Elm. And I'm excited. I think this is a big win for uh, – this is a huge win, honestly, for Coach Coombs this early. If you look at who he's recruiting against, Alabama, Florida, Oregon, Texas, uh, a lot of big names there. Yeah, no, uh, I think it's a huge um, – I always love when Ohio State like creates an inroad at a school and gets another one. But I think my favorite thing is that he has, you know, NFL pedigree. And I think it's really interesting. I was listening to a podcast today and they were ta- it's an NFL podcast, but they were talking about, you know, NFL players and sons and they got on the to- on the topic of Asante Samuel Jr. and Patrick Sertan Jr., who both got drafted this year. And just kind of about how especially with cornerbacks, that's a position where having NFL pedigree and, and having a dad that played really translates. And they, you know, they were kind of talking about just some of the other players who have sons coming up, but then boom, he, he, you know, he commits, his dad has NFL pedigree. His dad won a Super Bowl with the 49ers. And it's just like an interesting thing. Cause now I'm thinking like, if that, you know, he has NFL pedigree, NFL podcasters are talking about how that is a major thing. And, how they're seeing differences in sons of NFL players, especially yeah. at the cornerback position, and then we get one. Well, there's so and many. So I think there's so many things that go into playing corner. And I think people don't realize the mental aspect about it. Yep. And I think when you know that this kid is coming from a father who played, you kind of assume that they're going to have a similar mental capacity to play the position, all the ups and yep. downs of it. Uh, on top of, obviously, the natural physical gifts sometimes you inherit from your parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is exactly what Ohio State's getting. I think when you're projecting a player and they have someone you could look directly at, a.k.a. a father or a brother, uh, their, or a mom even, like if they're a track star, Christian McCaffrey's mom was an Olympic athlete. Uh, he's fast. It translates. So this is exactly what you look for in a recruit. Uh, I think you know exactly what he can become. I I agree. And I mean, especially, you know, we talk about it kind of like this small dip in, you know, the Ohio State secondary. This is maybe someone that comes in and plays as a freshman. Yeah. I mean, I'm not projecting that and I'm not putting that pressure on him, but if he's everything as if his body is developed and then maybe he's an early, you know, enrollee and he has that technique, maybe he's not the starter, but he rotates, you know, and so he could be a three year guy. He could get us back. And hopefully, be, yeah, know, before his three years are up, we have some first-round corners adding, again. But. Adding him with Jordan Hancock, adding him with uh, the guys from last year's 2021 class, yeah. I think this is just another big addition to start rebuilding this room. That kind of fell off uh, in the Grinch year, and then Halfley didn't really have enough time to really put his stamp on it. So yeah. we're kind of two years removed from having a really impact class from a defensive back recruiting standpoint. I think last year's was a good start. I think next year's, or I mean 2021, or 2020 was a good start. 2021 could be better. And oh wait, 2022, sorry. Sorry, 2021 was good. 2022 can be even better. 
And yep. then that's how you recreate this programming to get to 2023, 2024, back to what we were before. First round, first round, high pick corners that go out and win defensive rookie of the year. Ah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Uh, I think it's going to be good. I think that's a huge win. I think Notre Dame and Texas fans need to shut their mouths. Texas fans, you can't use Sarkeesian success at Alabama. Just get that off your plate right now. Like, I'm not nope. going to hear Texas Gotta fans talking about 48-29. Like, make a, make a playoff first. Uh, Notre Dame fans uh, also win a playoff game first. So, that's, that's how I'm ending the conversation right there. So, yeah, I guess let's move on. Uh, we've got... A little bit of time left here. We got to get through our top fives. I'm very excited about this week. How are you feeling about it, Jordan? You want to introduce us to what we're going to be talking about here in a few? Yeah, I, I always say I'm excited, but I'm especially excited about this one because I think this is one of the best positions Ohio State has had recently. Um, this one is, I'm just going to tell you now, is very, very top heavy, uh, but as it should be. I think this is arguably one of the best positions in the entire Urban Meyer era. Yeah, the entire Urban absolutely. Meyer era. People may not want to say it, but it is. I, I um, think we talked about it, and we were both like, Holy crap, like this position yeah. in the last five years has been elite. Elite. Like I have I have a play and, and just to just to actually introduce it, um, we're doing interior offensive linemen. So we're doing centers and guards. If you pay attention to offensive line play, maybe you guess what position we were doing by the way we were talking about it. Um but it's I mean, honestly, all five of my players could have been from twenty sixteen on. I, I I have an older guy. I wanted to get an older guy. I wanted to I wanted to respect some of the older guys because they were good too. But honestly, all five of them could have been from 2016. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I went with more new guys because I think they deserve some more respect than the national media pundits gave them. But I think I, I really like your list. I think you've got two names on it that I don't have that I I should have, but I I don't. And I have two names on it that I think everyone should have, but there's just not enough room on a lot of lists for somebody. Honestly. It's just crazy. I think the depth here is absurd. I think this is one of the best position groups Ohio State's had in the last decade, for sure. Easily. No questions asked. Uh, so so what, what lead us you, off here. Lead us off you here. You want me to lead us off? Okay. Yeah. So my, my number five is Nick Mangold. Um I mean, 2005 All-American, first-round pick in 2006, had a really good career. I, honestly, I didn't research to see if he's still playing. Actually, he's not playing because he's like 37 now. Yeah. Um, but in, in the peak, he was one of the best centers in the league, which I think is an important distinction because for some reason, not every or a lot of Ohio State offensive linemen do well in the league. Um, like sometimes the one you expect to do like really, really well doesn't, and then the other ones kind of do. So I think that's important, and I, I just wanted to give him some recognition. So, you yeah, know, my five is Nick Mangold. I like the Nick Mangold choice. I mean, you went really far back for that one. I remember, you know, I was never drawn to offensive line play. I've always, I was always a skill position guy when I was younger. Uh, but Nick Mangold always was a guy who I was just a huge fan of, and it might be because. Like his NFL success warranted a lot of respect when he was a Jet. Yeah. On top of being like an anchor, you know, he had the blonde locks. He had something that was very like he had a signature look for an offensive lineman. It's very rare. So I, I think he really was the anchor to those offensive lines during the Troy Smith era. He was absolutely unbelievable in his time. That's why he was an All American. But I think, mm-hmm. I think, I think it was a great choice at five. I, I think it's hard to like kind of put into 
like a general idea what these guys actually are because Nick Mangold, when you look at his holistic view, might be the best player we're talking about. Honestly. And one thing I want to say about him is actually him and Cameron Hayward. You know, in 2005, I was 10. You know, I don't really have memories back then of Ohio State football, especially in depth. But they were players that I always took pride in when I watched. And the NFL did the little, oh, which school they came from? And yeah. they said Ohio State. Those two for and sure. I watched them play, and they balled. You know, like, I don't have, you know, very, you know, heavy memories of Cameron Hayward either. But every time I see him play in the NFL, I'm like, that's an Ohio State guy. And that's how I felt about Nick Mangold. That's why I wanted to put him on the list. Uh, because every time I watched him play in the NFL, because I have NFL memories of him, I was like, I'm a proud Buckeye fan. Like, that guy, you know, really good Buckeye, great in the NFL, one of the best, if not the best center in the league. So I, I had to put him on the list. Yeah, I think – okay, so I'll, I'll get started on my number five uh, just to keep us moving here. Uh, I, I, I like Jonah Jackson. All right, a lot of people are going to kind of be like, why is Jonah Jackson at five? He only played one year at Ohio State. He was a one-year starter. Didn't win too many awards. He was an all-Big Ten guy, if I remember correctly. Uh, but outside that, his impact wasn't the largest. Okay, so Jonah Jackson was a multi-year all-Big Ten guy. He played at Rutgers, too, for those of you who don't remember. Uh, but I think on a line that was very young, very inexperienced, you had first-year starter in Wyatt Davis. He had a first-year center in Josh Myers. You had a first-year right tackle starter in Brandon Bowen. You had Thayer Mumford on the left side. So – we were really lacking experience. We were really lacking in experience top line offensive line play. And I think Jonah Jackson really kind of cemented what the expectation was for this offensive line that led to the eliteness of Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and those guys. He kind of was like the veteran anchor in a way. And I think his talent spoke for itself. He was a high draft pick for an interior offensive lineman. I think he's done very well in the league his first year. I thought the pundits were very – proud of his efforts and I, I think he's a guy and he might be on my list to kind of just throw a curveball but I think he's a guy who deserves a little bit more respect in the lure of Ohio State offensive lineman granted he was a one and done guy at Ohio State but he had a huge impact in his one year there and I think if he was a multi-year starter he'd be on this list with everybody else here yeah I, I have no absolutely no problem with that so I mean <laughs> I saw it and I was like I was like that's a little different but I think he deserves it from Everything like a talent standpoint absolutely true like I think you might be one of the best offensive linemen on this list and I think it is and and you know maybe people don't want to look at it because he didn't do all four years at Ohio State or whatever but I do think his other years matter because he I mean he went to Rutgers, and this is not the time that, like, crap on Rutgers, but there's not too many players on Rutgers' roster who is coming to Ohio State, starting immediately, and getting drafted to the NFL. Yeah. So he, he went to Rutgers, but he was a, a, a much higher caliber player, and he showed that in his one year here. Yeah, I think uh, – I, I, I think I, – I, I, you know I like to be out of the box a little bit. I think you've learned that pretty quickly doing the show with me. But I think Jonah Jackson, from a talent standpoint, is very in the box. I think from like his time at Ohio State and his weird college career is a little out of the box. But talent-wise, I'm putting him up against Josh Myers. I'm putting him up against Wyatt Davis, Corey Lindsley, Pat Elfline, the best we've had. And I think he holds – I think he could be held in the same regard from a pure talent standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. You don't have to convince me. I'm with you. I'm selling the audience here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Who's your number four? 
Uh, so my number four is Michael Jordan, and honestly, I thought he was gonna be higher. <laughs> like when I like when I had this, I was like, oh yeah, he's two. He's definitely number two. It's like Wyatt Davis, it's Michael Jordan, and then I actually got into it, and I was like, oh wow, yeah, like, he's still on my list, but like he has to be at four. Um, he was a 2018 All-American, fourth-round pick, um, and one of the reasons I thought he was going to be higher is he's the first freshman to start uh, on the offensive line at Ohio State since Orlando Pace, um, and I think he lived up to that. You know, I can't say that he didn't. He was solid. He he you know kept the tradition going from you know playing guard to center, and he was never supposed to be a center. You know, I think yeah. some of the other traditions may have been more you know expected, or you know, and he kind of came in in a pinch. So. I think he deserves to be on this list. He's very, very talented, had to be to start as a freshman, come on. And he he didn't disappoint either. You know, I, I don't he wasn't expected to start as a freshman. He wasn't like uh Paris Johnson where everyone thought he was gonna come in and take over everyone's spot, but he won the job. He held the job for, you know, three years. He played center. Um but what else, I mean, what else do you need to say? He, I think he has to be here. I my honestly I, I remember how good he was. I do, but like I don't want to take away from his talents at all, but I just remember, like, he was so big. He was, like, such a large – and, like, offensive linemen are all big. But I remember mm-hmm. him because he was, like, he was like 6'7", and he was playing center. I'm like, this is a giant center here. He is a huge dude. Like, can you imagine DeWan Jones snapping the ball? No. No. <laughs> And that's but like, I couldn't imagine him playing guard. And he yeah. plays guard, so, so anything's I, possible. I think Michael Jordan. I, he's not on my list. I think it might be a criminal offense by me because he was be, he was good. He was really good. And you know, I like to have fun with these lists, but I think I had a little too much fun and left Michael Jordan off. And I kind of feel bad about it now. I mean, I, I I don't know if he'll forgive you, but I'll forgive you. you know? <laughs> it's only five. As long as, he, as long as he's your six, you know, we're, yeah, we're good. I, he's 5B. <laughs> he's 5B. There we go. He's, he's 5B. Uh, all right. My number four is Josh Myers, uh, another center. Uh, he's a guy who came in. Uh, he was an interior offensive lineman recruit. He was always supposed to be a guard center type. Uh, I think he – was so good in his two years as a starter. Uh, there was never any worry about him at center, whether it came with snapping the football, whether it came from pass protection, and he was an absolute mauler running the ball in the run game, I mean. And I, I think he is one of my favorite offensive linemen Ohio State's ever had. Oh, yeah. I can't believe he's not on my list. He's he's 5B for me. <laughs> Um, I can't believe he wasn't on my list. I can't believe, you know, I'm sure everyone knows this by now. I kind of do my list off of, you know, awards as well as, you know, my memories of them and things like that. And I just can't believe he never won, you know, the Big Ten Lineman of the Year. He never won the Remington, wasn't an All-American. Like, he was so much better than the recognition he received. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like the hard balance on these lists is like, do I go off like who I think's the best personally? Do I go mm-hmm. off who everyone else thinks the best? Do I mix them both? But I was like, Josh Myers was an awesome offensive lineman. Yeah. Like, I don't think there was any games where I was like, God, Josh Myers did not play good. No, you know, I've no. seen that with like no one on this list. I think all these guys never had bad games, to be honest. But Josh Myers uh, was elite from the time he showed up to the time he got to start to the time he left. And I think you the praise I have for him as he developed and became an elite center uh, is I can't say it enough. 
Yeah, I think if I wasn't trying to, you know, pay some respect to some of the older players, he would have been on my list easily. I, not to say that Nick Mangold doesn't belong on this list. I absolutely think he does. And I think the point of doing it is to challenge ourselves and and not be, you know, revisionist history and just pick Urban Meyer players. Um, but, I mean, Josh Myers deserves to be on this list. I'm glad he was on yours. Who's, uh, who's your number three? Uh, my number three is Pat Eflon, who, honestly, one of my favorite Buckeyes. Um 2016 All-American, third-round pick. He won the Remington and the Remington Pace Award. Um, if you don't know what those are, the Remington goes to the best center in college football, and the Remington Pace is the best offensive lineman uh, in the Big Ten. I love that the Remington is from a player from the Big Ten. That's why they both have that. Um, I don't remember his name, but he was a center in the Big Ten, and then obviously Pace is Orlando Pace. So uh, I have Pat F-Line. He kind of was not no i mean he, he was kind of that start of that guard guard to center he he played guard his first couple of years played center in 2016 um and won and then you know billy price did it and michael jordan did it and so on and so forth i um, mean it's supposed to be happening again this year as well josh myers did it so uh pat offline is my number three yeah no i really like pet offline I, I i have a little higher on my list than you i'll just talk about him now though we know he's going to be my number two i'm just be honest uh he was a guy I brought up for tackles because I just kind of remembered him being like just such an elite offensive Amazing. lineman. Yeah. And I, I don't, I just was like, he needs to be on this list. I don't know why I forgot what he played, but now I'm very much sure he played interior offensive line because he's on my list this week and he's going to stay on it this week. But I, I don't remember many offensive linemen in the past who have had his level of talent, had his level of consistency and have, had the impact he did on so many teams and his time at Ohio State. Uh, he contributed when, like, immediately when he got there, he was a huge part during the la- the JT Barrett era, and he was such an impactful leader on the team that there's some stuff, like, on top of his talent that you really can't leave out of the conversation. I, I agree 100%. Yeah, and my number three is Corey Lindsley, uh, the highest-paid center in the NFL uh, per the internet. So I like Corey Lindsley a lot. Uh, he's not a guy I remember as much as a Pat Elfline, as much as the guys who played more recently at Ohio State. But he came in, and he was a big-time player for Ohio State, uh, kind of in the transitioning years between the early urban years and kind of towards the national championship team. But he was such an important part in that offensive line development and just kind of being an anchor when the program was rebuilding that I think he deserves. He gets a lot more credit in my heart than maybe some other guys because when you go on a list based off pure talent in college, I don't think Corey Lindsley's on the top of it with Ohio State Buckeye offense lineman. But I think his consistency and his ability to continue to get better throughout his career is exactly why he's had this long of a career in the NFL. It's the same reason I have him at number three. He's just consistent. He comes, he works, and he's not a guy who makes mistakes. He's just a good football player, and that's why he's my number three. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, a center is one of those positions where you don't want to know their name. You just want to know they're there. Yeah. You just want to know they're there. You want to know that they're, you know, and I think, you know, for people who don't understand offensive line play or who don't care about it. I don't think they understand what all goes into being a center. 
Um, and so to be the best center in the NFL and the highest paid center in the NFL, that is something and, and being from Ohio State, that's something to be proud of. First. I mean, obviously that started at Ohio State. That's how he got there. So that's a good one. All right. Who's your number two? So I'm actually going to switch it up because no one can see my list but you. Um, actually, no, I'm, I'm going to keep it the same. This is hard because this is actually my favorite player on the list. Um, but I do have a reason uh, for having him second, I guess. Um, so my number two is Wyatt Davis. I it's very arguable that Wyatt Davis is one of the best, if not the best offensive lineman in Ohio State history. Well, not the best. We had Orlando Pace. What am I talking about? Uh, Orlando Pace. But he's up there as one of the best. But there's a reason I have him number two. I'll explain that later. Uh, but, you know, he's a 2019 and 2020 All-American third round pick, which is absolutely outrageous. Um, he's a 2020 Remington Pace. Again, that's the Big Ten offensive line. Uh, best offensive lineman. And honestly, the reason he didn't win it back-to-back as well is because 2019 went to Tristan Wirfs. And if you know nothing about Tristan Wirfs, he was a first-round pick, all-rookie team in the NFL. He was really good. Yeah, and he's a Super Bowl champion. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I like – so, obviously, I like your choice. Uh, I'm just going to jump. My number two is Pat Elfline. I already discussed him. My number one is Wyatt Davis. So, I'm going to let you start it and close it out. But I just want to jump in on this Wyatt Davis conversation. He was yeah. so fun to watch. And every time there's not a lot of offensive linemen who get highlights, you know, released of them, just mauling people, pancaking people, you know, his checks in pass block, you know, I mean, you know about offensive line play when you're sh- shuffling your feet and staggering and going to the left and creating the pocket, his punches with his offhand as he was moving outward uh, were yeah. unreal. Like he knocked people over doing that. And, Every little aspect that goes into being a good offensive lineman, Wyatt Davis was great at. And fundamentally, physically, athletically, as a guard, I don't think you could ask for a more prototypical player in college football. No, I agree 100%. And I if I mean, we didn't need him to um, because we had Josh Myers and, and some other players waiting in the in back there, but I think he could have played center too. And I think one thing to pay attention to, I think he's going to be really good in the, in the league. And he's going to be really, really good. Um, he played hurt in 2020. Yeah. Um, and as well as the pandemic and all of those kind of things, which kind of dropped him to the third round. And he was still a consensus All-American. I mean, he's one of the best offensive linemen we've had in a very long time, if not the best. Um, like, if I had to create like a top five ever list, White Davis might be in it. Yeah. I mean, he made, the, 10 he made sure. the Big Ten. He made the Big Ten All-Decade team after one year. Yeah. I, he, and maybe I should have switched these as I wanted to before I said it, but I, I have a reason for my number one. But Wyatt Davis is an amazing player. Yeah, no, he's he was my number one. I think I, even before we started the list, I knew who my number one was going to be, and it was him. Uh, but yeah, who is your number one? Uh, let's wrap it up here. I think this will be our last conversation topic for the day, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. who's your number one? So my number one is Billy Price, um, and the only I'll, I'll just tell it now before I even get into anything else. The only reason I have him over Wyatt Davis after I just gushed about Wyatt Davis for like five minutes is because Billy Price won uh, was a two time All American at two different positions. Yeah. Um, and while I one thousand percent believe that Wyatt Davis could have done that, as I already said, I believe he could have played center if we didn't have Josh Meyer and some other people waiting in the ring in the in the in the wing. Uh, Billy Price won center in tw- uh, one All American 
and I don't know if you say one All-American or was an All-American, was an All-American in 2016 as a guard next to Pat Eflon, um, leading to one of the best, you know, complete offensive lines Ohio State has had in a while. Um, and then he moved over to center and won it again in 2017. And not only that, in 2017, he won the Remington and the Remington Pace Um And so while I like Wyatt Davis more and I believe that, you know, maybe ultimately he was one of the better players. That's just a resume that that's just a resume I couldn't I couldn't turn down. And he was a first round pick. I mean, he did everything you could do as an offensive one and did it well. It's for sure a resume that's hard to overlook. I obviously overlooked it uh, with my five. But I, I mean, Billy Price deserves all the credit in the world for what he was able to accomplish at Ohio State. Uh, he didn't seem like he was ever the most physically imposing force. He wasn't like the biggest offensive lineman. Wasn't the most athletic. But he grinded. Uh, he was one of the most vital leaders on the team during the 2016 and 2017 seasons. He was a guy who really was just so impactful in so many ways as a leader that I think Sometimes people overlook the actual accolades he won. People kind of remember Billy Price for being an Urban Meyer football guy. You know, this is what he's all about. But the effort, the execution, it all ended up working out so well that he was a multi-All-American. He was a two-time award winner. Uh, He's an ultra-talented athlete. And unfortunately, his career in the NFL hasn't panned out as well as some of the others, which is probably why I kind of kept him off. Mm-hmm. But he's a. I mean, I, I. I think if I had a six or seven, he, it's Billy Price. So yeah, and I, I just I just pulled it up because I just wanted to see. Billy Price was recruited as a defensive tackle. He was a four-star defensive tackle. He won, you know, co-defensive player of the year in high school um, as a senior, and they redshirted him and moved him to guard. And it worked. And out. he won. And and I mean, if I don't know if you, I mean, we just said it, you know. Josh Myers never won All-American. I don't think Jonah Jackson was an All-American. All-American is not easy, no. especially on offensive line when you have the Alabamas, the LSUs, the Georgias, yeah. the Wisconsins, I say the it. Iowas. I say it all the time. Ohio State's not the only team with great players. No, <laughs> no. And so for him to be a defensive tackle that moved to offensive guard and then moved to center and to be an All-American at both – It's impressive. As much as I love Wyatt Davis, that's why I put him as my number one. Yeah, I I think, honestly, uh, closing the show out with an homage to Billy Price is exactly how this show was drawn up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these top fives are so fun. Uh, We we ran a little bit longer today, surprisingly. We we came into this week on Monday like – It was Notre Dame's fault. (laughs) I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Yeah, we had to roast Notre Dame. We hate Notre Dame. Yeah. but yeah, uh, Jordan, where do we find you on social media for the audience to follow? You can find me on social media at Black underscore Royalty 8. You can also listen to my other podcast as we wrap up the NFL at Get Defensive Pod. NBA, we wrap up the NBA at Get Defensive Pod. Nice, nice. Yep. I am currently here only at Buck Off Pod. Make sure you're following the show page. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter as well at Chris Rennie CFB. If you guys want to do an errors and omissions with me after the show like you did last week, I'm wide open to it. Throw your darts at me. That's why Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon do it. Uh, I had a fun fun show today. Uh, make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast and rate it, and we'll see you guys next week. Yes, sir. Go Bucks.